promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Psalm 70 Be pleased, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those who seek my life be put to shame and confounded. Let those who take pleasure in my misfortune draw back and be disgraced. Let those who say to me, Aha, and gloat over me, turn back because of their shame. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say forever, Great is the Lord. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Come to me quickly, O God. You are my helper and my deliverer. O Lord, do not tarry. Amen. A reading from Ezekiel 33, beginning at the first verse. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and tell them, Suppose I bring the sword against a land, and the people of that land select a man from among them, appointing him as their watchman. And suppose he sees the sword coming against the land and blows his trumpet to warn the people. Then... If anyone hears the sound of the trumpet but ignores the warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his death will be his own fault. Since he heard the sound of the trumpet but ignored the warning, his death is his own fault. If he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. However, suppose the watchman sees the sword coming but doesn't blow the trumpet so that the people aren't warned and the sword comes and takes away their lives, then they have been taken away because of their iniquity. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. As for you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked, wicked one, you will surely die, but you do not speak out to warn him about his way. That wicked person will die for his iniquity, yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn a wicked person to turn from his way and he doesn't turn from it, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have rescued yourself. Now as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, You have said this, our transgressions and our sins are heavy on us, and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we survive? Tell them, as I live, says the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Repent, repent of your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Now, son of man, say to your people, the righteousness of the righteous person will not save him on the day of his transgression, neither will the wickedness of the wicked person cause him to stumble on the day he turns from his wickedness. The righteous person won't be able to survive by his righteousness on the day he sins. When I tell the righteous person that he will surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and acts unjustly, then none of his righteousness will be remembered and he will die because of the injustice he has committed. So when I tell the wicked person, you will surely die, but he repents of his sin and does what is just and right. He returns collateral, makes restitution for what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes of life without committing injustice. He will certainly live. He will not die. None of the sins he committed will be held against him. He has done what is just and right. He will certainly live. 
But your people say the Lord's way isn't fair, even though it is their own way that isn't fair. When a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, he will die for it. But if a wicked person turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he will live because of it. Yet you say the Lord's way isn't fair. I will judge each of you according to his ways, house of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we've made it out of the discussion of the nations. We, we are now back into, it's almost like we've had a little interlude. This is, this is a, a if you're a Star Trek fan, uh, Star Trek has these bottle episodes, right? These, these self-contained episodes that really have nothing to do with any prolonged story or, or anything like that. They tend to be usually budget uh, cutting measures where either they are uh, going to be episodes that have a lot of flashbacks to already um, shot scenes, or it's going to be all done on one tiny little sound stage, or something like that. Be very self-contained, like in a bottle, to uh, help save the company money and to sort of fit sort of this interlude before they get back to the regularly scheduled programming kind of a thing. And that's kind of what we had with the uh, announcements against the nations. And now we are back to where uh, Ezekiel was before, as he has sort of had his his ordination, his calling reaffirmed again. And so we come here to to Ezekiel 33, and it's a rehashing in a way of things that we've heard previously. But we have to return to them in part because I love the imagery here that God uses. He says to Ezekiel that I've made you into a watchman. And how's a watchman described? Well, it's a dude that's on a wall, right? And he has a trumpet. And, and when he sees an invading army coming, he is to blow the trumpet in this warning to the city that danger is coming for them. And so the gates would be locked and people would want, run for cover. The, the army would be mustered, you know, all those things, right? And here, uh, God uses this parable with Ezekiel to say, okay, well, if, if the watchman sees the danger coming and blows his trumpet and nobody listens to him, well, they're going to die and it's going to be their own fault, but I'm not going to hold anything against you as the watchman. Uh, Now, if I appoint you as a watchman and you see the danger coming and you say nothing, well, they're still going to die, but now you are going to be guilty of the fact that you did not do your job. That's that's an interesting place to go for God, especially with Ezekiel. Ezekiel's been that this watchman this whole time during his ministry. And it's almost as though this chapter belongs somewhere earlier in the book. But it, we have here that the punishment and death is going to come regardless, regardless of the situation. It's, it's ordained that it's going to come. The situation is, is Ezekiel going to be faithful? Is Ezekiel going to do what it is that God has, has called him to do? And as we have seen, he has been right? And, and here it's almost as though God is having to bring this warning again, bring this commission again, because Jerusalem is going to fall. The time has come now. We, we've come to that part in the, the, third, uh, of the, tr- the third piece of the trilogy, so to speak, that it's now time. Jerusalem, Judah are going to fall. And God has to remind Ezekiel of what his job is, remind him of how he needs to be faithful in his work. 
Uh, Church, I wonder, have you ever been called to be this watchman for somebody? Uh, I think of circumstances like uh, having to have interventions for people who are dealing with addiction problems, right? Where, Where you have to come together and you have to tell them some hard truths so that they can get the help that they need. Or maybe it's not addiction, maybe it's mental health crises, Uh, maybe it's someone has been crying out for help and concerns about um, suicide or or other things like that, maybe. But these places in which we are supposed to come and for the love of our brothers and sisters, speak to them about the sin that is killing them. I wonder if we are ones that are prepared to do that because here we have this watchman that is called for this the the issue then becomes one of what is what is the major danger that we need to well, that kind of works major danger <laughs> major danger <laughs> uh, what's the major danger that is coming to them and not that uh, we we're looking for our pet sins right the sins that we we like to hold on to because we have this thing about them But instead, uh, things that are real life dangers, things that are going to lead to the deaths of of people unless something is is done, you know, or or turning a, a brother or sister, a friend, a lover into the police because of a crime they have committed. Those things that that need to be done as watchmen to watch over the lives of our loved ones to help bring them to repentance to call them forth to, to what uh, God has to say to them of things that are not right or things that need to be changed in their lives. There's this job of the watchman, this job of the preacher. I wonder where God is calling you in this. And then God gets into some stuff that we, we've talked about previously that have been, that's been brought up previously. And, it, and it's almost as though God is having to do it again. He's having to repeat the sermon again to Ezekiel. And then also put this, these words in his mouth again, because people forget things all the time. As a, as a pastor, uh, we often can get accused of being repetitive, that we repeat the same things over and over and over again. But the problem is, is that for a large percentage of our people, we can say the same thing over and over and over again, but they aren't listening or they don't take it to heart or, or it just gets sort of swept under the rug where, where people do the sort of teenager thing of, yeah, 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 I know but then they don't actually listen or take it to heart. And so here he, he's told of, of, for instance, the example, uh, verses 7 through 9, he uses of uh, the warning of the wicked person, the person whose life has been consumed by wickedness, and, and about how, well, he'll die for his iniquity if he doesn't turn. Um, but if you don't do your job of telling him what is what is going wrong and, and warning him of, of the danger to come, then you're responsible for him, that it's your fault in a way, that you have fault with him and his own wickedness for not warning him. But if, he, if you do warn him and he doesn't turn, it's on him, right? That's somewhat comforting and somewhat scary all at the same time that that if we just sort of let people do whatever the heck it is that they want to and we do nothing about it we have to take responsibility for that but then at the same time saying well you warn people and there's going to be some people who aren't going to listen right there's going to be some people that aren't going to care what you have to say 
Sometimes we have to get used to that. This, this sense of shaking the dust off from your feet that you continually, continually, continually warn and encourage and call for repentance. And then finally it becomes that time where, where either they repent or they don't. And something bad could happen. But then also, uh, he, he then in 10, ver, 10, verses 10 and 11, I love this, where, where the people are crying out that, that their sins are too heavy on them, that they're, they're seeing the destruction coming here of Jerusalem, of the temple. <laughs> and they're thinking they have no hope. They're thinking that they have zero hope. That, that life is coming to an end as they know it, that there's nowhere else to turn, that our transgressions and our sins are heavy on us. And then God gives them a beautiful gospel in verse 11, as I live, says the Lord, because we have a living God, God speaks and says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I take no pleasure in the death of the sinner, that he doesn't rejoice at anyone's death but rather that the wicked person, the sinner, should turn from his way and live. Repent, repent of your evil ways. Why will you die, house of Israel? This calling for us, for instance, church, that we need to have that preacher in our lives when we are most despairing of what is happening in us to say, no, God is a living God and a loving God, a God who does not desire your death. Repent, confess, Receive the absolution, receive the forgiveness, and go on in the newness of life. And the same thing, too, for those in our lives who are so um, drastically harmed by what is going on in the world. It's the same thing that we are called (laughs) to bring them that good news when they are so brought low of nobody loves me, I've not been good enough, I've never been able to be good enough, and we need to come to them and say, no, you are good enough. You're good enough not because you are essentially good, but because Christ has been good for you. That that because God lives and because Christ lives, you will live also. Now stop trusting in yourself. Stop thinking that you only have your past to live by and instead turn from that trusting in other things and trust in Christ. Trust in God to be this merciful God that you need. Because verse 12 and, and, and 13 the righteousness of the righteous person will not save him on the day of his transgression, neither will the wicked person, wickedness of the wicked person cause him to stumble on the day he ter- stumble on the day he turns from his wickedness. This is, this is the bulk of what is then talked about in the rest of this passage that we've looked at, right? The, the notion that uh, we assume that if we can put together a good resume of righteousness, then anything that we do, any sin that we have um, will be not a big deal. That, we'll, that we have the scales. We've talked about this before, that if I just have enough goodness, enough righteousness on one side of the scales, that the badness, the wickedness, the sin on the other side will, will be balanced out. And here God's saying, no, you, you could be the most righteous of all, and yet you'll have one day of stumbling. And that's all it takes. And it's the same thing with the wicked person. You have this, this wicked person who spent all their life doing wickedness. And yet they have this moment of clarity 
this moment of repentance and they turn away from themselves and they turn towards God and things are forgiven. That they, that they trust in the forgiveness that comes through Christ. And this is what becomes the audacity of the gospel. This is what becomes the, the offense of the cross, is that because of the cross, sins are forgiven. The problem is, is that either one, like it says here in verse 13, we trust in our own righteousness. We trust in our own goodness. I, I've said this story before, but it drives me nuts when I do funerals as a pastor and people will talk about, oh, they were such a good person. Oh, they did such, they did this thing and that thing, all these good things. And I always want to say that's great, but the reality is, is that he or she had a good savior, a good Jesus, one who redeemed them. That's the, that's the, the thing that we need to be preaching and to cling to, to tell people of that, that here in, in verse 13 is the crux of the whole rest of the argument that you're trusting in the wrong things. Because after this, it, it talks about this wicked person who, who, uh, repents or turns from his sin, turns from his trusting in other things and does what is just and right. And then makes a list of some weird things like returning collateral and, and, walking in the statutes of life and and making restitution for the things that are stolen basically not trusting in uh, um, what it is that they have done in their past and instead knowing that they they have to own up to those things and move on well here he then says well they'll certainly live he will not die none of the sins he committed will be held against him he has done what is just and right what is that confessing sins trusting in christ the same thing of the downfall of the righteous. You have all this righteousness, but then trusts in themselves. This is that danger of talking about some form of sanctification in the church, that we're going to be more holy, because basically it just becomes a checklist of, well, if I just keep on doing all this stuff, I'll just be golden. I'll have a golden crown with jewels in it in heaven. And that's not what is, what is given here at all. Instead, what, what is told is that we, we cannot trust in ourselves and we instead have to trust in him. And this is that call of the watchman, of the preacher, to remind us of these things, to turn away from our wickedness and live, but then also to turn away from our righteousness and live. Church, I wonder what sort of preachers you have in your life right now, or what sort of preacher you are in the lives of others. The call is to be ones that turn people back to God. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not feeling sorry. Repentance is a turning away from ourselves and a turning unto the Lord. I I, I pray that maybe God will be raising up one of you as a watchman in the lives of others to to be this one that calls people out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let us pray. Lord God, merciful judge, you are the inexhaustible fountain of forgiveness. Replace our hearts of stone with hearts that love and adore you, that we may delight in doing your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Well, church, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.